Kevin. Do you screen your calls? Oh, 100%. Right? Me Sorry too. to all my friends, but yeah, absolutely. If I say, hey, I didn't catch that. No, I definitely just did not want to talk on the phone at that moment. Yeah, no, I never, I never talk on the phone. I'd rather tell, but like, I'm embarrassed because I would rather tell someone that I was taking a shit than tell them that I screened their call. Really? Yeah, I feel really, really bad about it every single time I do it. Like, I feel like such an asshole. I don't. I'm like, it's 2022. Why are you calling me on the phone? Oh, I'd so much rather you call me than text me in most scenarios. Especially like for plans and shit. You know what I mean? Like, I've done this with you and you and I have a, an ongoing fight about this. Because you want to text about plans and I'm like, give me 30 seconds to call and talk on the telephone and we will have this sorted out. If you want me to text fuck off. I just, it's going to take 20 minutes to text a plan when you can call and have it ha- hammered out in 30 seconds. I fully understand that. That's so valid. But voice memos also exist. Yeah, I've recently discovered them because I've been sitting on the couch so much and you sit in the bedroom usually. So yeah, it's like a walkie talkie. Yeah. Uh, but it, anyway, yeah, I, I fully screen my calls. I'm like, if, if this can't fit in a text message, I don't know if I want to hear it. And I and I I have the same opinion, except it's that I don't think plans specific. It's specifically plans with me. Like, if you want to make plans with me, just fucking call me. Fair. Yeah. That's a shout out to all of y'all. Just just so you know. Anyhow, we're both back in the studio. This oh no, I'll do that after. Okay, sorry. I'm trying to think of how this goes. I fuck off. Hey babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched. One missed call. You mean the 2008 supernatural horror film directed by Eric Vallette? Sure do. Yep. You screen my phone calls. I forget the rest of the words to that song. I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. Correct. I sing every week. And I'm back. Yeah, you are. Wow. COVID free. I'm My leg's still broken. Once again, whoever placed whatever curse on us, please lift it. ASAP. You could have just you could have just turned me into a frog. That sounds nice. I know. I would I would love to be turned into an animal. Just like, ooh, you know what? Turtle. If you're gonna tell me if you're gonna hex me, turn me into a turtle, please. I will sit in the sun all day with my house on my back and just And then chill in the water too. And make weird sounds during sex. <laughs> we love to see it. So we'll be following the normal format today, and just in case you don't know what that is, completely unhinged. Um, that means, There's a format to the unhingedness, though. You know, method to the chaos. What that means is Tover's going to take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and the crew, and then I'll take us through the plot, and then we will analyze said plot. So, Tover, who made this thing? Definitely not John Carpenter, but some people who worked with John Carpenter. Interesting, right? Because it doesn't—it feels a bit slapdash for all for anybody who worked with him. <laughs> so, as you said, this film was directed by Eric Vallette. Uh, he's a French director. This is definitely his best-known English-language American Hollywood film. Um, otherwise, he's spent most of his time directing in his native country. The screenplay was adapted by Andrew Claven. Um, Claven is a, another one who. This is definitely his best-known work. Um, but yeah, as I said, it was adapted. The original film was directed by one of my absolute favorites, none other than Takashi Miike of mm. Audition and Ichi the Killer fame. Audition is terrifying. It, it is, and it's one of my favorite movies, and I know that's not okay for me to say out loud, but I fucking love that movie. It's such a fucked up movie. GG. 
But yeah, so the original screenplay was, uh, the original Japanese screenplay was written by Minako Daira, um, and the original novel was written by Yasushi Akimoto, who is a very interesting person. I, I did like a minor amount of digging into Yasushi Yamamoto, and I'm like, oh damn, I want to hang out with this person. So the person who wrote the original novel for this, which is really well regarded, um, mm. it's seen as like a very good, properly horrifying novel. So would you like to guess what his top, top occupations are listed as? What? Record producer, lyricist, and television writer. Interesting. Yeah, so he's not a novelist, but he nailed it in the first try. <laughs> you know? Yeah. One inspiration strikes, I suppose. Right? Um, yeah, he started writing in, for television in high school. And then goes on to be like a major record producer, puts together a bunch of like uh, uh, idol bands for uh, both in Japan and South Korea. Hmm. So yeah, he, uh, he he wrote the original novel, then it gets turned into the 2003 film. But yeah, other than that, that's the only time he's really written except for the, uh, he did One Miss Call the Final, uh, or One Miss Call Final, which is, yeah, the he there was also a novelization of. Yeah. Or novel treatment or something, whatever. So our cast, I'm going to keep it really small on the cast because there's really only a couple of characters we see a lot. A bunch of people die really quickly and have no characterization whatsoever. True. So we have the stunning Shannon Sossaman as our lead, Beth Raymond. Mm-hmm. You would know her from a little movie called, uh, I don't know, A Knight's Tale? <laughs> Come on. Favorite anachronistic movie. <laughs> We have Ed Burns as Jack Andrews. Now, Ed Burns is just a generic white dude who's tall. Um, he kind of he kind of have has like Aaron Eckert meets um, Jason, or he played Jason. What's his fucking name? Who died recently? He was on Riverdale, but originally he was nine hundred two and zero. Hmm. Dylan. Something. Anyway, I'm going to get raked over the coals for that because I've seen every episode of 902 and 0 and I can't remember his name. But he played Jason in the show. I've seen none, okay. so I can't well. help you. <laughs> um, but yeah, his biggest credit is definitely saving Private Ryan. Um, he was not Private Ryan, unfortunately. So he wasn't saved? No, he dies. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry Spoilers! To Dude, the movie's almost... The, the movie's the same age as my youngest sibling. I don't... <laughs> it's 1998. Can't help you. Eh. Eh. Um, Anna Claudia Talonson plays Taylor Anthony, one of our uh, our friends who lives the longest. <laughs> that's a but, that's a thing. Gold yeah, star, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. Um, and then Ray fucking Wise as Ted Summers. <laughs> God, I love Ray Wise. Anytime he shows up on screen, I'm just like, hell yeah, let's go. I'm in for this now. What's up, Ray? <laughs> What's up? How's it going, Leland? <laughs> the best. Um, and then a nice little small role from Margaret Cho, whom I adore, but this is such a weird role for her as a detective. I know. A detective and naysayer. I just found out she's bisexual. What? You didn't know that? No, I didn't. She's know. been out for years. Well, okay. Sorry. I No, no, no. That's just surprising. She's like, <laughs> her last three albums have been like, did you know that I eat pussy? <laughs> well, no, I thought, so I thought she was gay. I didn't know that she was identified oh, as bisexual. Oh, I, I see. Was Sorry, so queer. it was in the other direction. You just found out that she liked That she more also options. likes men. Yeah. And other, yeah. There's also uh, just a fun, uh, just, a, just a little note. Um, you, you watched Modern Family, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, Ariel Winter is in this. Where? She's Ellie. The little girl in the hoodie. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, she's uh, We'll spoil who Ellie is later, but that she's Ellie. 
Oh, oh my gosh. I Yeah, I mean, yeah. Ellie's in a hoodie the whole time, so I had right. no idea. You, and, and usually in shadow form, so. So our music was by, they're not always a team, but they often are, Reinhold Heil and uh, Johnny Klimek. Hmm. Or Klimek, I'm not sure how you say his last name. Sorry, Johnny. Um, but they, they've worked together a few times as composers. Uh, Reinhold Heil has a really cool career. Mm-hmm. Um, he started off in West Berlin doing uh, post-punk. Okay. And then moves into the super awesome movement that you've definitely heard of, but you may not recognize the name of it immediately. It's called the Neue Deutsche Welle. Okay. Neue Deutsche Welle. That's the best I'm going to be able to do with German. Okay. Um, but you would recognize a major band of that genre and arguably the creator of that genre, the Nina Hagen band. Ooh. He's who like made them pop off. Okay. Beyond Nina Hagen herself being, you know, Nina, Nina Hagen. Nina Hagen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Johnny Klimek, uh, Australian, like he does um, a lot of electronic music. They both do, um, which you can hear in the score. It's very oh, yeah. like Bauhaus, Kraftwerk inspired. And then yeah, Neue Deutsche Welle. Style. I didn't really notice much music in this. I mean, the, it it always it's like suspenseful music or whatever. But I didn't really notice the music. Yeah, I I, I did. Uh, but that's just like it's. I'm so keyed to it a lot of times. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've done some really cool shit together. Um, also with Tom Twiker or Ty- Tickwer. Um, yeah. But Deadwood is definitely the most notable of those in yeah. terms of score. Deadwood has a fantastic score. I need to finish that someday. It's one of those that, like, it's like The Wire. I've seen the first season, and I just never finished it. Mm-hmm. Also, Sense8 and, and uh, Run Lola Run, which Sense8 was underrated. The Wachowski sisters did it uh, a few years ago, and I watched, again, first season, never finished it. And then Run Lola Run is just a fantastic movie. You can't, that's a, that's a, that's a killer. Yeah. Our DP was Glenn McPherson. Um, not someone you know a lot, but someone we have covered. He did Trick or Treat. Okay. One of the shorts for Trick or Treat. That's where we've covered him before. He's done some of the Resident Evil movies. Um, he did 16 Blocks, which was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you know, kind of a, um, he's more like action-y cinematographer. He's not like known for his great shots. He's not known for very filmic shots. He's known for getting action shots well. Yeah. You know? And finally, our editor brings us to our John Carpenter connection. Mm-hmm. Steve Merkovich. He did, uh, he edited Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Yeah. And Con Air, which is actually a really well edited movie, and that's something we should talk about at some point. Not on this podcast, but at some point we should just talk about the movie Con Air, because I like it a lot. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Pencil it in. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> so, yeah, nice tight runtime, 87 minutes, although it felt like a bit of an eternity. <laughs> it felt like 807 minutes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a slow one. Uh,. This is, I'll talk about this a little bit later, uh, but the budget was $20 million, um, which is a budget I really love. And I've talked about it before, but we'll talk about it a bit later as well. I love that number two in dollars. I wish someone would give me that <laughs> amount of dollars. Yeah, to make a movie or just to have? Uh, probably just to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, yeah. someone gave that to me. I don't think my first instinct would be to make a movie. I think it would be to uh, put it in my mattress. <laughs> um but yeah it got a good return on its investment particularly for when it was released Mm -hmm. Uh, it made 45.8 back so it doubled its budget back and change uh and that's surprising well it it is and it isn't because it came out on january 4th of 08 here in the states yeah 
Um, which means that you are kind of that's when a lot of horror movies do get dropped. Like that's when that's around when the the new screen was dropped. And it's because you have a dearth of movies at the the movie theater because you've run all the Christmas ones out. It's true. And so they're usually in their like fi- well at least at this time they would have been in their final week. Yeah. Not like Marvel movies where they run like 3 months in the theater. Um but they would have been yeah. Like all the Christmas, all the holiday movies and shit, like they started like Thanksgiving and run through usually the first week of January. Yeah. And so you're in like a period for, hey, let's get some indie films out. Hey, let's get some horror films out. It, it, it's for your smaller budget movies that you're, you're, you're making more bang for your buck because there's just nothing else to see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And people are like, I want to go to the movies. It's fucking cold out. And so you go to the movie. Same as in summer. It's like, oh, it's, I want to go to the movies. It's fucking hot out. And yeah, yeah it's a yeah. good, January is a great time to release movies. Hmm. August, not so much. I'll keep that in mind for when I release my big movie. Heard. Are you going to do a Hannah Montana sequel? Yes. Nice. But it's going to star... You. Yeah, and and I don't have... My my alternate identity is a killer. Oh, interesting. See, I just imagined that you would do... It's not a pop star, a killer. See, I... So here's... here's, Let me pitch this to you. You... So it's basically every other... Every horror film where you're like, whodunit... Essentially. Yeah. All right. Do you want to hear my pitch? <laughs> sure. You play the Miley Cyrus Hannah Montana character, right? All grown up. But it's a pop star that kills people. Yeah. We find out that uh, uh, Miley's actually a serial killer and has been using the Hannah Montana moniker to cover up her crimes. Because you never see him in the same place twice. Now, we would have to retcon the fact. Yeah. And we would have to retcon that she did come out as both Miley and Hannah Montana being the same person. But I think we can do it. Or you could, ooh, ooh, that's what it is. Instead of, because you're you're Nicole, you're the new Hannah Montana, she's back, but Miley's visibly retired, so you pin all the, you pin all the, the murders on her. I think I should... I should write the script. I think I should fight, fight Miley Cyrus for, so that I can... So you can be Dolly's goddaughter. I know what the thought is. <laughs> I can see it on your face. Maybe I should just try to seduce Billy Ray Cyrus. Go for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That way I can finally get him to shave that goatee. Mm-hmm. Because I want to wear it and only one of us can have that look. Mm-mm. But I'm going to take his and tape it onto me. Please don't. I'm going to. Please don't. You can't stop me. Yes, I have I a can. lot of spirit gum. I can stop you. How? Show you my butt. <gasps> that does usually stop me. Exactly. Speaking of butts. Men are weak. Weak. He was weak. He was. Or Eve was weak. I always fuck that look. Oh, well. It's the same. It's the same. I'm a charming personality. It's a completely different take. So that's all I have on who did this damn thing. Now I will do my damn thing. Yeah, tell me what the fuck happens in this movie. So, um... Too much. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little <laughs> convoluted, but we'll certainly a, talk a, about it's that. It's a plotty movie. It's a plotty movie. Um, so... A young girl gets rescued from the blazing St. Luke's Hospital, and then there's this paramedic inquires where her mother is, and she's, like, not talking. She's... Just big eyes staring in the distance. Absolutely mute. And then a scene transition happens, and we see uh, this um, undergraduate Shelly Baum uh, sitting outside, hears her cat meowing over the koi pond, which... And then here's a splash. She goes over toward the pond to to investigate, and a hand just grabs her and pulls her under the water. Our first jump scare. Yeah, and she's on the phone while this happens, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. or she like just finished a call. And then um, a red candy 
appears at the pond's surface. It looks like a red marble. I was like, yeah, what is it's that? a it, yeah, it definitely looks like a marble. It's just bobbing there on the surface. And then it kills the cat too. This was this was a fake out. Ooh. I was like, because the cat was like sad because it saw its owner literally get killed, and I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe that's better than the cat actually dying. I'm not sure. And then the cat died, so it was just terrible all around. Yeah, everything sucked, and I died. Yeah. And then um, a couple days later, college students Beth Raymond and Leanne Cole discussed Shelley's funeral. And Leanne's cell phone rings in this like lullaby ringtone thing. Mm -hmm. And it's a call from Shelley. She unfolds it and hears this eerie voicemail of herself. And it's dated June 12th at 10.17 p.m., which is three days in the future. What? A text from the future? Texts come from the past, babe. You're ridiculous. It's a it's a voicemail. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, that would be the updated one missed call, like one missed text. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it took a second to hit. It's not it's not reasonable. Um, <laughs> and then um, she starts hallucinating and calls Beth while heading home after after being like at the library and studying. And then Beth rushes to her location, but then she ends up seeing Leanne falling off an overpass and she gets hit by a train. The scene is ridiculous. It's so... The CGI in this is pretty bad. Even for the time it came out, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty rough. It, It stays rough. And then, of course, a red candy pops out of her mouth and her severed hand dials a number on the phone it's holding. Ooh. Ghost. And then we're at Leanne's funeral. Her ex-boyfriend, Brian, um, leaves after then experiencing those hallucinations. And Beth finds him outside of a coffee shop. He shows her this voicemail that he got um, after Leanne died from Leanne's phone, dated minutes away. And All these voicemails. Who's calling whom? I know, right? It's crazy. And then, so he's, he's kind of, he's the one who's saying, uh, you know, Beth is trying to say like, you know, this is weird. Like something's going on. A lot of these things are, you know, there are weird similarities. I don't know what to make of it, but, you know, and he's kind of like the naysayer. He's like, he's, he's kind of like, this isn't, this is all in everybody's head. This isn't happening. Um, And then he around the time of where he's supposed to die he's kind of like walking across the street jaywalking so just really testing the fate testing showing that he really does not believe in this um and then he forgets his phone of course um Mm -hmm. and so beth calls him back and we're thinking that he's going to get hit by hit by a car but then there's um there's a tank explosion from this construction site that's across the across the street and it launches all this debris in the air and it goes kaboom yeah that acetylene just goes and he gets impaled in his torso and a red Mm -hmm. candy is ejected from his mouth and he collapses and then the next day beth is at the police goes to the police and she's introduced to jack andrews who's a detective he mentions that his sister Jean and interned with shelly Baum at St. Luke's Hospital and died two days prior. And um, 
they're kind of like, you know, they're doing little detective works, detective work. And um, can I just jump in real quick and say that Jack Andrews is the most like low hanging fruit, no imagination detective name I've ever heard. <laughs> you might as well call him detective policeman. I love that. <laughs> I wish they had. Be one less name for me to try and remember. So then Beth goes home and she finds her friend Taylor distraught by um, by by this kind of feeling of who of, of she's thinking she's going to be the next um, victim. And so um, as consolation, Beth removes the batteries from their cell phones so they can't be reached, which LOL. Remember removing the battery from your phone? Like, whenever it froze, you just pop the battery out the back, let it sit for a second, pop the battery back in, and it was fixed. Totally. But also, like, neither of these people have ever seen any horror film. Oh, no. They're completely outside of the realm of horror films existing. LOL. Again, something I'll bring up in a minute. Also, can we talk about where the fuck this movie is set? It's filmed it's, okay. in... Some part of it is, like, is like supposed to be, like, New York City. Like, they have the there yellow... There are parts of it actually shot in town. Parts of it actually shot in Brooklyn. And then parts of it shot in, like, suburbia Chicago. Like, where the hell is this supposed to be set? Yeah. Nowhere, like, I mi- guess. Yeah, but, like, they're literally in Midtown at multiple points. Like, you see New York landmarks yeah. everywhere. Yeah, we see the Washington Square Park Arch. Yeah, you see the GWB <laughs> and the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> it's so confusing. It's like how when they, uh, they filmed... Did they think that nobody would know? Did they Were they just like, we're just going to film it in, like, ten different places? Or was it intentional being like, this takes place nowhere? Yeah, it's kind of like a Gotham City thing. Oh, have I ever told you this? Do you know where Gotham City canonically is in the DC universe? Here? No. Jersey. Gotham City's in New Jersey. Okay. Because New York City exists in the DC Comics universe. So everybody's like, yeah, New York is Gotham. Nope. New York is New York and Gotham is across the Hudson. Huh. Right? It's just one of those things. Anyhow. I mean, I'll I I don't believe I'm not gonna believe it until the cast of Jersey Shore shows up. <laughs> Could you imagine Snooky in the DC universe? I am now. I think she might be like an underdog. I kind of feel like there was a crossover that happened. I'd have to ask a friend who's better at DC than I am, but I I will look this up for you. I promise. And if it exists, I will buy it for you with all of my no money. I'm, I'm rooting for DJ Polly D though. Go for him. I know nothing about Jersey Shore other than Jim Tan Laundry and Grenade. Jim Tan Laundry. Mm-hmm. That's how they all come together. That's how I do. That that is their life force. That is their their origin story is Grenade, and it's like Captain Planet. They're like Jim Tan Laundry. Gah. You're pitching pure gold, babe. Here, I need to keep it off mic, and we need to keep talking about this fucking movie. <laughs> okay. Um, back to it. So, so they take their they take their battery out of their cell phone, thinking like that's gonna solve all their problems. Hey, ghosts um, aren't real. Yeah, but despite that, Taylor's phone rings. No shit. Um, she views a video of her death. So detective Detective Andrews and Beth go to research Nurse Marie Layton, who is the originator of the calls. 
Um, they go to the morgue's database and they find Ellie Layton's autopsy report, who is her eldest daughter. And um, the registered mortality cause is an acute asthmatic episode mentioning no bruising, but evidence of past scars. So she's thinking that so uh, um, Beth is studying psychology because we've gone to uh, we've been in one of her classes where they're talking yeah. about like especially child psychology and or at least that's what we can assume no, by, it, by it, the it's lecture explicitly child psychology because she's uh, she was also abused and that's why she studies it that's right that's right yeah that's she wants right. to help kids and so she mentions that it's that she, she's thinking it's Munchausen's by proxy where the mother wants attention so just in case you're not familiar the mother wants attention so intentionally harming their children so that they'll get attention from from the hospital and doctors and and yeah. and others true to get getting that sympathy um shout out mommy dead and dearest baby yo i i do not that is it's it's that is one of those um, mental things that is so fascinating to me because I don't understand it. Um, it's odd, yeah. It's it's weird. But that's why they call it abnormal psychology. It's fascinating. So then... Um, yeah, and Beth is like, okay, yeah. So it's Munchausen by proxy, which is child abuse, uh, but it is a, its own flavor of. Yeah. It's a different genre. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then a TV producer that approached Taylor um, the day before is preparing to record her exorcism. Yeah, Ray Wise had stopped by, and Beth is like, oh no, fuck this dude. Because he works with this, like, televangelist miracle man. Yeah. So we're just bringing in a whole other element here. Yeah, there's a new um, part of the plot now. Yeah. <laughs> um, the exorcist explains that spiritual energy operates in the same electromagnetic spectrum as light and microwaves. Pulse much? Yeah. Um, hence, it is transmissible via cellular phones from which manifests as hallucinations and beth views the show's advertisement on tv and races to the site she if they would be advertising that it's going to be filmed live before a studio audience i know right i mean it makes sense for him to be like i'm doing this live as a stunt yeah but like no way no how are you gonna get the commercials in yeah exactly what is this a hockey game no (laughs) so then um she gets there just in time to witness this unseen force that chokes Taylor to death. Yeah, this is where the CG is actually good, where you can see the fingers on her throat. Yeah. Ash, and she's being lifted. In general, I'm down with this scene. I think it's pretty cool, actually. It's solid, yeah. Um, and then Beth's phone sounds with a voicemail dated for tomorrow. And... Uh, is that a thing that's happened before in the movie? Is that like a running theme? It's the theme. <gasps> the theme! And then assuming that finding this uh, finding this mother will settle the matter. Or her corpse, yeah, to settle her, her corpse, spirit. Yeah, she, Beth resolves to go all the way to St. Luke's, which is just... The, the hospital that burned down at the beginning of the movie, yeah. Yeah, which, so when she gets there, it's just busted. <laughs> she attempts to escape... Because she gets, she's starting to get those hallucinations, and she thinks that you know something's after her. But then she runs into Detective Andrews, which I'm just like, what a weird, what a stupid jump scare. What a weird, well, just like weird that he was like also able to get in and like. I mean, he figures it out by being a detective, yeah. But I, I suppose if you want to suspend your disbelief, but also like, clearly the spirit is is kind of has control over all of this. So we're like. They obviously wanted this guy in there. Yeah. 
or they could have closed yeah. the doors and locked it. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Made him see nothing. Yeah. So they go to um, an operating room, and Marie's spirit propels Jack outside, knocking him unconscious. Sorry, your muscles can't help you here, buddy. Literally, no. Um, and then Beth is locked inside, and there's a phone that begins to chime that lullaby thing, and it displays her her running out of time, essentially. Yeah, her little countdown. She throws it across the room where um, it hits the air duct's grill cover, and it makes it fall. <laughs> This conveniently sized air duct that fits her perfectly and then a man twice her size perfectly. Nah. And both of those things are way bigger than air ducts are. Also, it's like just a bunch of like rotted wood. It's like a secret passage, not an air duct. So weird. (laughs) And then so she's crawling towards, you know, she might be getting out of this. But then after a while, she turns to her left and notices Marie's charred corpse clutching a cell phone. Yeah, and that starts ringing, too. Yeah, and she starts to really pursue her, and Beth is just crying and saying, like, like, please don't kill me, please don't kill me. And forgive me, yeah. Forgive me, and then she reunites with a detective, so she spares her life, and states that Marie might have brought her there to protect her. She's like, yeah, I think this Marie is actually trying to look out for us. Maybe something weird happened. Beth has mommy issues. She sure do. So Detective Andrews leads to Laurel's foster home to declare her mother's death. There he finds this CD from the nanny cam, which was in the eye of Laurel's teddy bear. And the footage reveals Ellie cutting Laurel with a knife in their bedroom in this very creepy scene. She's like, sit there like a nice girl. This will only hurt a little bit. And then just like has this like butcher knife and just mm-hmm. cuts her across like the the forearm. Yeah, she went down the highway too. She didn't cross the street. <laughs> Damn. I want to know Ellie's origin story. I'm like, more interested in that than I am this entire movie. Like what's going on? Yep. What is going on? Um, And then Marie enters shortly after and realizes that Ellie was this abuser all along. And she rushes with Laurel to the hospital, locking Ellie in the in the room. And then Ellie. So she's trying she she's having an asthma attack and she's trying to get um, her inhaler. But it's it's out. The cartridge is empty. Mm -hmm. And so she essentially dies from asphyxia while dialing her mother's phone number. And then this the video's over which follows by a thunder crash and the door creaks behind detective andrews and laurel imparts that through that though ellie injured her she always provided candies Mm -hmm. those little red marbles and then he he realizes that ellie is is the reason behind all of this and he's he's driving um to to go see beth but he gets informed by a colleague of a new voicemail. And um, he's about to go to Beth's house. And somebody knocks on the door. And as Detective Andrews peers through the peephole, a knife stabs through it, killing him. And Ellie appears and reaches out to murder Beth. But Marie's spirit intervenes and bounds Ellie in in um, Detective Andrews' phone. And so now Ellie is banished. She gazes briefly at Beth before... Disappearing, and uh, Jack's mouth spills a red candy, and his cell phone auto dials. We also get that little scene of like the the younger daughter um, holding the other uh, Laurel holding the other canister. 
Oh, right. The yeah. the, the refill for yeah. she had swapped them out for an uh, empty one. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Mm-hmm. So these little children are the reason. Yeah, fuck, fuck, fuck these kids. I don't really. Again, I don't understand. I need. I want to know Ellie's backstory. Uh, yeah, like why? I don't. It's it's so fucked. <laughs> Literally. So so, what do you want to start with? They've got lots to talk about. I don't like this movie. Oh, it's it's horseshit. It's so bad. It's so. It feels like. A it has all the cheap shots that a CSI episode has, but it's twice as long as a CSI episode. The reason why CSI can kind of get away with this is because they're very short narratives and it's what you expect. Yeah. So it's fun. It's like you're you're in the know, you kind of and you're kind of like, what? You know, mm-hmm. like that's what's fun about watching CSI. But CSI also isn't necessarily like supposed to be a shit your pants horror film it's not trying to be and this is so uh it just doesn't work it just it just doesn't work yeah um so everybody agrees with you do you i want to play a little game and it's really just one question not even game guess the rotten tomato score on this oh i saw it as one star and it's a zero percent it's zero percent. Nobody liked this. Eighty-one reviews. I I gotta be honest. I had never I had never seen it, and I thought it was a different movie. So I thought I think I I confused it with Scream or something because or you just one wrote of a the different screens. movie in your head. I think I did because I thought it was about a babysitter who was like babysitting children. And calls coming from inside the calls the house. coming from inside the house, and that's what I thought this movie was. I did not know it was like a shitty Final Destination crossed <laughs> with like again a CSI episode crossed with um I don't know I don't know I think, I think those I'm, two things hit the nail on the head. I, it's Final Destination meets CSI. I think I wrote a new movie in my head because I remember when this came out. I was a junior in high school. And I remember seeing the trailer and I I didn't see it, but I think maybe I don't know what the hell happened in my brain to where I thought because there are children in this. There's that lady who looks like she could be the age of like a babysitter, Beth, like sure. I mean, she was like 33 when she made this movie. <laughs> She's supposed to be like 20. Well, okay, that aside. Everybody um, in this movie looks so old to me. Yeah, so, except they always the actual do. Kids. No, but this is this is egregious. Um it's also how they styled them too. Yeah. Um so and then I and then for some reason the line uh the calls coming from inside the house. There was another movie that came around around that time and I can't think of what it was, what but am you're I you're I, I can't think of it off the top of my head. So, I don't want to sit here and research it. This room's hot as shit. <laughs> so when I started watching this movie, I was like, this this isn't what I was expecting. I wrote a completely different movie in my head about this movie, and I think it would have been better as junior uh, junior high Nicole was writing this movie. I think it would have been better than how this turned out. Sure, and I I can buy that. <laughs> like, just have a slasher, just do slumber party massacre, but with a, with cell phones. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it. it the way this is done, and I haven't seen the original. Original, it's known to be one of Mike's like most disappointing films, which is not surprising that it's mo- one of his most disappointing because it's not nearly 
as clever or interesting or commentary uh, forward as any of his other films. Like the rest of his is his oeuvre. Mm-hmm. His body of work is like way more interesting than this. I mean, you've seen you've only seen one of his movies, or you've seen two of his movies, but um, they're both way more interesting than this. Even if you don't like Audition or can't stomach it, it's a cool movie that's interesting and has something to say. Yeah, this is nothing. Um, this is just absolutely nothing. This movie is it, it has no point. It has a it has a plot. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's got nothing to say. It's got nothing to do. Nothing's nothing innovative happens in it. It's already a remake, and it's a worse version of the original, which is already not amazing. Yeah. Um, the premise is cool, you know. Uh, but it would have come out around the same time as Pulse, so it already feels derivative, right? Yeah. It came out two years after Pulse or Cairo, which we covered a few months ago. And go listen to that episode. It's fantastic. I really loved that movie. But that movie is cool. That movie has a lot to say, you know. Definitely. That movie has a point. This movie has absolutely, the story doesn't even, like at least this version of the story. Because again, I don't know the, I'm not familiar with the original as much. Um, I know it's a little more pointed, but it is just sort of like Final Destination, which has nothing to say, but is really good. Right? Yeah. And I. Because it does something clever with cinematography. It does something clever with kills. Like Final Destination is cool because it, it, it took away the killer. And made it fate or destiny or death itself, like which is even yeah, which is even scarier, right? So, um, yeah, this is like this feels like a weird translation of a contemporary like folklore, because when you like when you think about it, like girl spirit gets totally. trapped in a urban cell phone, yeah. yeah, like a weird urban legend, like girl spirit gets trapped in a cell phone and then is calling all these people and showing them their demise and then it like predicting their demise and then it actually happens yeah to the minute and everything yeah and like we've talked about before how as technology is going to continue to advance horror movies are going to have to it's a blessing and a curse horror movies are going to have to adapt to that but also it's going to give you more inspiration on how to maybe make things creepy like for instance, mm-hmm. Black Mirror on that side. And, Has nailed it all the time, yeah. And on the other side of that, you can't have a lot of these films. Like, you can't have Rosemary's Baby now that we have all this technology. You can't Or you have, have to do a different version of it. Like, well, yeah, yeah, I'm saying as is. You can't yeah, have... Right. You know, You know what I mean. Yeah. You can't have a lot of these... You can't have a lot of these movies with the mere idea of having a cell phone. You can't. You just yeah. can't. Yeah, So, So I think it's... I don't know. I I think that even with keeping in mind that this was when um, the iPhone had just come out, the first generation. It was a, yeah, it had just dropped had like just a month before out. this, though. Yeah, it, like even well, even just thinking about the idea of having a cell phone and all of this happening, like like always having your cell phone with you, because mm. this wouldn't have hit as hard if you. I mean, it doesn't hit hard in general, but it would have been <laughs> even worse if it's like, oh, leave a message on my home phone and I'll right. see it when I get yeah, home. Yeah, the house phone. Yeah. So like, I kind of respect it for using this idea of we're always carrying these cell phones with us. They've become our kind of you know appendage. And so you're you're always connected to something, so you're always going to know. But then also maybe it's better not to know. 
Like maybe you don't get that voicemail in time and you have no idea and then it just happens. Like, I don't know. But it also, in a way, it's not clever enough for me to be like, round of applause. <laughs> yeah, it's all execute. I think the cleverness is there. It's the execution that's bad to me. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that it doesn't have anything to say. Now, if it, it, again, this could be source material. Again, I can't, I'm not as familiar with it as I maybe ought to be or whatever, but fuck you, I've got other shit to do. So, like, yeah, maybe the original source material doesn't comment on the fact that it's cell phones. It's just a medium, right? That's yeah. It's just, like, a thing. And that's cool. That can be cool if you land, if you stick the landing on the ghosts, right? Yeah. So if you stick the landing on ghosts and them being scary or the kills being good, then great. Doesn't matter. The medium's a cell phone? Dope. Cool. Yes, we all have them now. That's, that's it. No more commentary beyond that. And then you've got another Final Destination on your hands, right? Yeah. Similar idea, but it's it's a slasher with the uh, with a with a killer that's a ghost girl. Fine, uh, but you don't need the detective story with that. Right. Um, you can just have that be cool. You know, it can just be interesting like that. Yeah. Um, have it be the kids investigating. Why are you bringing in detectives? It's weird. And why is she flirting with a man twice her age? Also weird. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that. Yeah, there's like a romance subplot. You should call me sometime. And like this woman who just been through a horrifying experience, literally has dead lady schmutz all over her face, is not about to be like, come up for coffee and let me let me doink your stoink. Ew. Ew. Don't ever say that ever again. I won't. It was off the cuff. So, that, that yeah. So like removing, this movie needs trimming down, which is wild because it's 87 minutes, but it's it's so plot heavy. Like give me more time, give me more kills, give me something more interesting. Like the kills are are, are unimaginative Final Destination kills or they're, they're less imaginative version, less, less imaginative ripoffs of Final Destination kills, right? Yeah. Impaled by the Spike is the end of the first movie. Hit by the train is the near miss with Sean William Scott and then actually he dies, right? Like that's the kind of shit, sorry for spoiling that movie, the, that 20 year old movie on this episode, but we've already covered it so go listen to it. It's fantastic. Or the movie's fantastic. I'm just saying go listen to all of our older episodes today, aren't I? Anyhow. So yeah, it, 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 do this movie but, but cut a bunch of shit and do more, spend more time with other things, you know? And yeah, there's not enough time for us to, A, care about these characters. There's not enough development for us to really understand why we we why we should feel any any type of way. Yeah, it's all devoted uh, to the romance subplot and the detective plot. Yeah, it's it's really weird. It's Do a high school musical. We're all in this together sort of moment, you know? Yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's focusing on too much. It's there's in that it's unfocused. Yeah, there's too much going on. There's, there's five too plot, much there's going five on plots that are unfinished. Yeah. And then you add in like not great acting, like it's fine. It's phoned in. But it's very much okay, we got the shot, let's go. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like we talk a lot about um, how someone, everyone showed up and knew knew the assignment and just did their job. This was everyone showed up and was just like, okay, let's get this over with. They knew the assignment. What, they knew the job. It's what it felt <laughs> but like. it's the bad version of that. Like they did know the assignment and they did do their job, but oh my God, I wish they'd done it. But I wish they'd. I wish they found a different assignment or a different job. Yeah. Maybe one person who was excited to make this movie, you know? I know. Which is the only thing I could, can, like, the, the best thing I can say about this is the editing is actually tight for what it is. It's not an editing problem that this movie feels forever long. That's not a pacing issue in the edit. It's a pacing issue in the story. Um, and the music is good. I really liked the music. I, I thought it, it did actually engage me more than this movie would have had the music not been there. 
Right. That's understandable. I just didn't even notice the music at all because I was just like, oh my God. Yeah, we had to watch it in two parts because I was just like, this is... Well, I fell asleep. Yeah, this is... (laughs) Wow. Granted, I was on a lot of meds, but damn, I I probably would have either way. Well, in a horror film, you you have to have something that's stimulating. Yeah. You have to either deeply care about your characters or you can... Like, you can totally make a, a crazy movie like... I love the characters in Evil Dead. I don't care about them. No, I, I, like, I barely care about there. Ash and he's the most interesting one. There's a difference there between yeah. like truly caring the outcome, what the outcome is. And then when you have like kind of a campy um, over the top movie, you don't have to because well, you're there for the camp. And the well, the thing with Evil Dead is that the shots are interesting. The story's interesting and the the kills are interesting and the and the the visuals are interesting right yeah that's that's what that movie succeeds on Raimi's not known for his storytelling not really like we don't really talk about how good a script uh uh shit i never remember the name of this fucking movie it's okay or you have you can either have your characters be your driving force that's stimulating because you care so deeply and then when someone dies you're like oh no Tucker shit. and Dale versus evil yeah. The stakes are high because you care about Tucker and Dale. Yeah. Or Scream. The stakes are high because you care about those characters. They have real lived-in lives. They Or they feel lived in, you know? Yeah. Or you're there for, you know, the camp. You're there for the fun. Or you're there You're there for the gore. You're maybe there for the jump scares. You're, you're there for something. But this... Or if it's a suspense, you know, yeah. thriller type, you're there for that. It has to be something stimulating. And the problem with this movie is nothing is stimulating. Yeah. Nothing. Not a single thing. Not the not the kills because again they're a ripoff from Final Destination. Made they're more not, boring. They're they're yeah they're not interesting. Again the characters are not developed so we don't care. Um, the jump scares are pretty cheap. It's there's nothing there that's like. There's no there there. Yeah, there's no nothing that's stimulating, and that is what a horror movie has to be. Yeah, is hor- in in any definition of the word, it has to be stimulating. Yeah, a horror movie has to have some there there. Yep. So yeah, um, the last thing I want to—I think we've—we've we've kind of like nailed that. Um, put the nails in the coffin of this movie that already flunked. <laughs> Financially yeah. successful, but yeah. So one thing I've talked about before, but is it's this idea of this like mid-budget movie, and that is a thing I like about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uses its budget well. Um, I mean, yeah, the CGI doesn't look great, but it's fine. It's passable. Um, and there's moments when it does look really good. Yeah. Definitely most of it was spent on a few set pieces, right? Mm-hmm. The big fire. Yeah. Uh, the overlay of ghost images through, like, when, when Beth is, like, walking through the past and the future at the same time. Uh, the final shots, the final the final confrontation in the house, uh, and uh, the uh, uh, Taylor's death at the studio. Yeah. Those are clearly, like, the big set pieces that used up a good chunk of that budget. <laughs> Definitely. Also, I found out they shot in Atlanta. Oh, Okay. But they definitely used pickup shots from New York. Yeah. Uh, there's there's clear landmarks. It's so... It, that's even, like, confusing. It's just... It's so... The whole thing is is very... And they don't say that it's set anywhere, so I get it, but... Yeah. But it's it's just... It's, it's not important, but it just would feel nice to feel grounded. In anything. So, so back to the budget idea. Um, so the idea of a mid-budget movie is really great, right? Um, the idea is that you take someone who has made an indie film maybe or kind of prove themselves in like a very small budget, like a one to $5 million budget. And you go, okay, cool. So here's the next step up, right? Yeah. If it's one, then you go to five, five to 10 or to 20. 
Um, if it's 10, you go to 30, right? You, you, you build these directors in, you teach them how to use budgets appropriately and how to work with what they have instead of going, like we talked about this in the Saw episode, right? That they should have gone straight to mid-budget movie for 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 one and uh, uh, Andrew, what's his name? Yeah. Um, but they should have given them, you know, hey, here's 10 million bucks. What can you do with that? Mm-hmm. Here's 30 million bucks. What can you do with that? But instead they just jumped them in. They're like, nope, you guys are the big, you guys are the big deal now. And they did grade them up a little bit, but it was just too much too fast, yeah. which we, we quoted them as saying as much on the movie, on that uh, episode. Um, same thing with like somebody like uh, uh, Colin Trevorrow, right? Like right now, as we record this, his movie is getting absolutely just roasted to pieces. Yeah. Because they took him from an okay but semi-successful sci-fi super low-budget movie called Safety Not Guaranteed. Yeah. Fine movie. Good enough to give him another budget, right? Yeah. Give him another go. What can he do with a little more time, a little more finesse, right? What can he do with taking something off his plate? Yeah. Right? That's the idea of giving a director more budgets. They have more creative freedom. Because they can hire more people to do the the day-to-day shit, Mm -hmm. right? So what can you do with that? Nope. Give them Jurassic World. (laughs) Right, right. Just throw them in the deepest of ends. Oh, yeah, we're going to give you the summer blockbuster. And also, by the way, your budget is now, like, so many digits. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And he made a pretty bad but passable first version of it. Mm -hmm. The Jurassic World is fine. It's not good by any means. Um and then he made some more really fucking shitty ones, and they keep getting even shittier. Uh, yeah. I've not seen anybody say anything defensible about the new Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea, right? Like, that's why we, we and a lot of you, again, I say this pretty pretty often on the podcast, but like a lot of directors want mid-budget movies back mm-hmm. because it's either you, your, your job, like you can either make small shit the rest of your life or have your entire career dry up because you fucked up because you don't know how to use... $300 million because it's not a real number to you. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, don't give me an Avengers movie. I don't want to fucking work on an Avengers movie. Why? One, I have no ideas for them. Two, I wouldn't know what to do with that kind of money. I don't understand what the size of that is. I barely understand the size of $100,000, let alone 300 million of them, right? Yeah. So that's the idea. It's like, and so, and so that's what I mean to say about this. This would have been a good proof of concept for more budget. Because um, it, it also succeeded, like I said, like it made its budget back. Yeah, I think it was. But, I think it was one of those uh, spectacle things, like why it did so well. I think. I think people were looking for the next, like, final destination. They wanted a series. They made more of these too. Yeah, they did. I think people were looking for that next series, and I think there is definitely merit in saying, like, I saw the first one in theaters when it came out, and you know, like, if it turns into totally. something, like, there's that curiosity there. So, and then also with people being like, oh, it's so bad, it's so bad. Yeah. Um, more people are going to want to see it. It's kind of like that there's no bad publicity. Sure, yeah. I think that might have been what happened. I'm not sure, though. I have no idea. But you also, you need your you need your PG-13 horror films, right? Totally. And they yeah. make way more money than the R-rated ones. Of course. Just the PG-13 can, movies in general you do. You can just generally reach a wider audience. Like yeah, you, it's, the widest net you can ta- it's the widest net you can cast as a, as a, a studio. It's PG-13. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it wasn't competing with things like Saw, the Saw series, or Paranormal Activity, anything like that, right? Yeah. It's competing with your Princess Diaries, right? Yeah. yeah. That, that lot. Now, you didn't come out the same year, obviously. But, you know, that sort of ilk. Yeah. It's competing with Mean Girls and, and, and it's competing for the teen audience. Yeah. 
So it's what it's really shooting for is teenagers about to go back to school. Well, and that's that's who that's who's going to go to see these movies because you've got ten dollars and your parents are like, sure, it's Friday night. Well, and it's not like you know you the older crowd they're at bars, right? The younger crowd is seeing Princess Diaries, yeah, <laughs> or, or Mean I, Girls, like, I mean, you know? Yeah, but like, I was up to a certain age. I was definitely just going to the movies with my friends. That was our thing that we did. You know, we'd go grab like some fries and go to the that movies because like that's, the... that's what you could afford. You had fifteen bucks on a Friday night. It's that or the mall. When you're and I didn't have more than fifteen dollars, so the mall was useless for me. <laughs> yeah, so I totally get it. I get. I think I get why this um, made made back its budget. But, yeah, um, but it's also kind of why it fails. I think that that's where like Final Destination really killed it. Is that they were an R-rated film that everybody wanted to go see. Yeah, um, because you got to have cooler kills because you could be gorier with it. You can cut Sean William Scott's head in half. Totally. Yeah. Why not? So yeah, that's kind of what... That kind of wraps up how I feel. Yeah, that's my thoughts on this. Yeah. It's fine. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, I there, wouldn't, there are it, better things to watch out there. Yeah, I mean, we've got a list of PG-13 recommendations. We should cover more of them on this movie, and I've, I've gone on a long... On this podcast. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we should cover more of them on this podcast, but I, um, I, I have a, I've gone a couple times in on how I think the PG-13 movie, or horror film, is bullshit, but uh, I've got to find some that I like. I've, I've said one or two, and so I should... We should do more that I can like say nice things about. Bet. All right. Well, that that brings us to our conclusion, I believe. So you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. And we have a website, horrorbabespod.com. If you're enjoying this, feel free to give us a rating or a review. That feature is new on Spotify as well. You can rate us That's on right. there. That's right. It did just come out. Mm-hmm. Or you can rate us on um iTunes or tell your friends. That's that's an even better one. Or do bo- all three things. Wow, gold star, gold star listeners. I will tap your little booty if you do it. Oh, until next time. Bye, Bye babes. babes. Yeah, babe. Yeah, babe.